Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Given the hectic, challenging, busy lifestyles of most people today, it seems perfectly fitting to talk about ways we can experience peace and calm, comfort, and healing during particularly contentious and challenging times. Who doesn't need that, right? The peace and calm, I mean, not the contentious and challenging times. There's actually a growing field of research in a nature-based approach to health care and healing whether that's mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. It's proven that our mental and physical health is directly connected to biophilia, which, by the way, is a fancy term for our natural affinity to nature. Research shows that as a species that exists within nature, we're incredibly affected by its absence and presence. Yet we function in cities and buildings that largely lack a connection to the environment, and as a result, we get a ton of health issues that we now expect to be corrected with modern medicine and drug therapy. Call me crazy, but maybe we should have a workforce requirement that people get out into the outdoors at least a half an hour a day. That doesn't mean you have to go for a long, strenuous walk or uh, a hike or anything like that, although that's not a bad idea. But just getting outside into the presence of nature to meditate or just to be still has proven to be very effective. As Hippocrates said, nature itself is the best physician. My first guest today is Susan Robbie, Executive Director and CEO of the Conservancy for Healing and Heritage, which offers a shared space for comfort, inspiration, and education in a nature preserve in the Franklin area. Welcome, Susan, to the show today. Thanks for coming in to talk to us. Good morning, Jill. Thank you. You know, I have to say, first of all, congratulations. I understand that the Conservancy is on the cover of the South Suburban Chamber of Commerce Guide. Yes. A picture of the chapel. It's beautiful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, what is it about the healing space uh, at the Conservancy that attracted you and prompted you to get involved? I knew about the project of the Conservancy for about 10 years. Some of the directors or the, the board of the Conservancy that had started the project uh, were associated with another nonprofit that I was running. So I knew about it and my own personal journey over the last five, six years of um, Lyme disease and late stage chronic Lyme disease that really has affected my body uh, head to toe. Um, that journey has brought me back to nature, mm. nature as what will ultimately heal me. So it's kind of ironic that nature got me sick, and now nature is healing me. Um, so the mission of the Conservancy was something that I could get behind to to because I know the importance of a place like this for for the community, for people. When you are really dealing with a lot of trauma, like we do, we turn on TV, there's trauma. Um, you know, we, we visit our doctor, and sometimes we get bad news. Yeah. Families deal with a lot of stress issues, uh, veterans coming back from service. You almost can't talk to anybody these days and not hear their story. And so when we look at what, when I looked at what the Conservancy's mission was, it really resonated with me on a personal level. And there's really a, a, a saying in nonprofit leadership, if you can't believe in the mission, then you shouldn't be leading that organization. Mm, and for so me, true. Yeah. right? For me, it's really uh, it's about what I'm going through, my own journey, 
every day and knowing that others are in the same place that I am and I know that I can help people through what I'm experiencing. And and through the work of the Conservancy, we can reach more and more people every day. Mm. And that's really what it's about, right? Taking a passion that you have. Yours is you yes. know, to reach out and help somebody. Right. I was uh, talking with some individuals this morning uh, who are going to be guests on the show later uh, at another time, and we are talking about how everybody has something. You know, everybody has stuff. Now, my stuff looks different from your stuff, from your stuff, but everybody has something going on that um, doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a negative thing. Maybe they just want to experience peace and calm because they know that that takes them to a place where they just are a better person. And so my understanding is that they can go to this place of healing out in nature and just be still and just meditate right. or something like that. Where Where is the Conservancy located exactly? The Conservancy is in Franklin, and it's approximately 74th and Rawson. But because we're tucked into the woods, we own 36 acres of forest land, we're not right on Rawson, so the best way to find us is to pull into the Ascension Medical Building that's located at 74th and Rawson and drive straight back. There's signs once you pull into the parking lot, and you'll find the Healing Chapel on the right when you get to the back end of the parking lot. So it's free to park in the parking lot. And then right now, the, the element of the conservancy that's done is the, the Ryman Healing Chapel in the woods. So seventy. And that's what's on the cover yes. of yes. the South Suburban Chamber of Commerce Guide. Awesome. So tell us then, how did the project get started? The original idea is about 20 years old, and it came at the ribbon cutting of the Ryman Cancer Center. The Ryman's were standing outside of the building with the, at the time, chairman of the board of the Wheaton Franciscan Healthcare System. They were at the ribbon cutting for the Cancer Center, and they the three of them looked out at the woods and said, wouldn't it be great to have a healing garden out here for the cancer patients and their families to go into during treatment or during their cancer journey? So that seed was planted approximately 20 years ago. And fast forward to today, the Ryman's did sponsor the chapel and was built adjacent to the Ryman Cancer Center. And then the idea was born then to create the healing garden and then um, the trails through the woods. So it all started with this notion of being able to serve and support cancer patients. We do, we do that today. We're right next door, so we are able to help those patients and other cancer patients from really around the region. But it's grown into serving the community uh, mental illness, emotional, spiritual, other physical issues. So if it if it helps a population dealing with cancer, why would it not help other people dealing with other struggles or challenges in their life? Right. Yeah. And the other side of that, Jill, is what about people who are okay? What about families who are looking for a place to connect with nature, to connect with woods, um, to, to be in a forest? That goes back to the Ice Age. So maybe a preventive type of measure we can look at the conservancy providing. So really it's it's a fascinating backstory, but it's evolved and grown into so much more and I think that's why every day I hear from people that you know might stop in at the chapel and spend a little time. We touch people every day and it's kind of growing out more and more from that original idea. Okay. What about um, ways that you reach out to the community in terms of education? You know, education is uh, 
it's one of our core values here at Ellen Becker Investment Group. It's it's very important to us. Tell us some of the ways that the Conservancy for Healing and Heritage is educating the public and, and having an impact. So education for the Conservancy shows up in a couple of different ways. One way is through different programs and workshops that we offer. So just this past weekend, I had a gentleman, a Ph.D., out. He conducted a program entitled Nature Heals, and it was a topic that helped the people who attended to see not only how we connect with nature, but how nature, we heal nature while nature is healing us. So it was, I would call, one of these um, college-level lectures that took place. And so people that attended really walked away with appreciating nature from from a different perspective. Um, Another way that education has become important is utilizing the environment or the land of the conservancy as an outdoor classroom. Mm. So for instance, Franklin High School, their environmental sciences classes use the conservancy as their outdoor classroom. So periodically, several times through the school year, they will spend a half a day, 200 kids, doing studies. So the teacher will set up their class plans. And right now they're doing a three-year trail cam study in the woods. They've gone out onto the lake, Cottmeyer Lake, and they've done water studies. They're doing sap collecting with Cub Scouts at the elementary schools in Franklin. They're doing a joint project. So every, every time they go out, they're learning about the economic impact. They're learning about the community impact. They're learning from the land. It's endless mm-hmm. what kind of educational opportunities uh, the students and the community are going to get from the conservancy. And how big did you say? How many acres did you say this was? We own 36 acres. So there's plenty of education that can take place yeah. out there on the lake or just on the trails, like you said. Correct. So what lake is it that's out there? So it's Kopmeyer Lake. So the, okay. the, the original owners of this land was the Kopmeyer family. And the Kottmeyer family is hometown gas and oil. Some of us may be familiar with the gas stations or their ice company. So they own the land way back, and they donated this land that we now own to the Archdiocese of Milwaukee on December 30th, 1955. I just saw the archive record, so I know Mm. the date. So it was the Kottmeyer farm, and the Archdiocese owned the land. A lot of people we'll know the lake as Priest Lake. It kind of got nicknamed Priest Lake. Okay. Priest came out, R&R out there, maybe took a little canoe out onto the lake. There's no direct public access to the lake. There never has been. Um, and then the Polish Heritage Alliance acquired the land. The Polish Center is adjacent to us off of 68th and Rawson approximately. We acquired the land about 18 years ago, this 36-acre parcel which includes the lake. The most interesting thing about the land is it's part of the Kettle Moraine on the eastern side of it because the glacier came through in the Ice Age, carved it, and then melted and created the lake. So our land is very hilly, and you end up kind of going up and down. So, But it's interesting land, and uh, so there's plenty Plenty of places learning. to explore, yes. Right. Wow, wonderful. Well, the idea of the Conservancy initially was to promote the healing, like you talked about with yes. the Ryman Cancer Center. Um, but uh, the original scope has has gone well uh, beyond that. Uh, education is just one part of that, which Susan was just talking about. 
Hold tight, and we'll be right back to talk about some of the other ways the Conservancy is providing peace, comfort, and support during challenging times. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community. I'm talking today with Susan Robbie, Executive Director and CEO of the Conservancy for Healing and Heritage, which is located in Franklin. So, uh, Susan, you talked already about the education piece, which is so key. It's very important. Tell us more about some of the other ways that the Conservancy offers peace and comfort in terms of a community impact. There are three elements to the Conservancy. I mentioned earlier the Ryman Healing Chapel in the Woods, which is open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And people can come in, sit down the window on the east side. It's from um, top to bottom. So people can sit in there, look out the window, look at the birds flying through, look out at the forest, spend some time in quiet. Maybe they want to have a conversation with family. So that that is, we made that available. It was finished in 2016. We're in the midst of completing the healing garden. And the healing garden wraps around the entire chapel, about an acre in size. The healing garden is interesting because we had to create a design that was specifically focused on healing garden. So some of the elements are non-perfumed flowers and things because that can be upsetting to someone who's going through an illness. We also have to take in mind that we're putting this healing garden into a forest so we don't have a lot of sun, so we had to be mindful of the kind of design. But the healing garden, when completed, which should be this summer, will be completely ADA accessible. There's two screened-in gazebos, so people will have a chance to get out of the main path and be off on their own, maybe for some private conversation or just some private time. A recovery garden, there is a waterfall, I did some research, and back 10,000 years ago, uh, I'm sorry, 2,000 years ago, physicians prescribed going out in nature and hearing water and seeing water. So when we look at just even our water feature, it is part of the prescription uh, from many, many years ago. And so those kinds of elements were incorporated into the healing garden. We were lucky enough to get a name sponsor for the Healing Garden, and that is We Energies Foundation. So they saw the value of a space like this in the community. It's quite different than, say, other garden spaces because we're building it around the concept of healing. And so it will be permanently named the We Energies Foundation Healing Garden. And again, that will be completed this summer. We got all the hardscapes done at the fall, so now it's all the fun planting and landscaping. And then the final piece is the lake and nature trails. So because of the um, condition of the forest, we were able to find a natural path through the forest or trail, and that will lead people to the lake. And along the way, there'll be a couple of observation platforms with a bench, so people just want to sit and rest, look out, look out from above to the lake, that will be available. Our second phase of the trails will incorporate an educational pier that we want to build at the lake. And this, again, would be for students or classes, things that would involve the water. And then phase two would be putting the boardwalk trails around the entire perimeter of the lake. So 
again, it's bringing people to the land, learning from the land, workshops and programs, um, either health-related or land conservation, environment-related, where people are able to appreciate nature as it was meant to be. And so these are the three parts. And, and again, we're hoping by summer, weather permitting in the spring and early summer, we can have the trails completed and the garden and have a grand opening. So it's been almost 20 years of talking about it. Actually getting to the finish line is going to be very exciting. It sounds beautiful. I wonder if you're going to have people asking for weddings. I already oh, do. You do? Weddings, okay. baptisms, celebrations of life. Wow. Prom pictures. Oh, yeah, I bet that's going to be all. beautiful, especially with a waterfall. And I would imagine people in that area, that, well, there may be some people in that area that have no idea it even exists. That's true. You, I talked to people from Franklin, just even within blocks, and they didn't know. Well, because we're tucked off of the main sure. road. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to know now. Yeah. They're yeah. going to know now. <laughs> well, we talk a lot about collaboration and how important it is. Uh, one nonprofit can obviously not do it all. And with over 54,000 in the state, um, there are a lot of people to collaborate with. Um, who are some of the, the partners that, you're, that you work with? Well, you're right, Jill. Collaboration is really important. And for us, how could we reach, I asked myself, how could we reach, our, how could our mission reach out to people if we didn't find partners in order to work with and make the conservancy available to them? So one of the, the very first partnership that I created when I got involved was with the Wisconsin Ovarian Cancer Alliance. And, and immediately, Ashley, their executive director, and I collaborated on a couple of programs that could be held at the Healing Chapel for their, for their survivors and their survivor family members. So we had two, three terrific programs at the chapel, and it just kind of started the ball rolling. So right now I'm up to about 20 different partners and they come in in the way of healthcare organizations like the Ovarian Cancer Alliance, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, um, Aurora Women's Pavilion, the Ryman Cancer Center. I've also got a number of partnerships that are related to the environment, conservation, the Wisconsin mm -hmm. DNR, mm -hmm. Milwaukee County Parks, the Nature Conservancy. I would imagine you're going to get veteran organizations yes. reaching out to you as well. Yes, yeah. yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, lots of good things going on at the Conservancy. Um, how can people help if they're listening and they even have, maybe they have affinity for nature, maybe they have somebody dealing with cancer, maybe they just want to go and take their dog for a walk on the trails if that's permitted. Um, how can people help? Well, right now I would say I invite everyone to just stop at the chapel and, and experience it. Um, the other ways that people can help is I'm still working on the final money raising from the original goal. We started at $5 million and we have about 700000 left. So there are some... So you've come um, quite a ways. Congratulations. Have, yes. Yeah. There are some major naming opportunities that remain. The trails are available, the educational pier, one of the screened in gazebos, the West Garden gazebo is available for naming. And then there are some smaller opportunities as well. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say we need a little bit of funding, a little bit of help to get to the finish line. And if there's anyone that is involved in an organization that they feel the Conservancy would be a place for holding a program, holding an event, I'm open to that and would love to talk with them. So 
again, we see ourselves as an asset to the community, to the region. Our mission in and of itself stands alone, but it's stronger when we work with other people, when we work with schools, when we work with other organizations who really are doing work to help other people deal with whatever traumas they may be dealing with, other challenges. Churches, we work a lot with churches who hold different services in the chapel. So we're really available to the community. And I I guess at the end of the day, when I review people that reach out to me, you know, at the on a Friday all week, it's really that personal touch, what it really means to people. I had a, a gal call me and say, I really have to meet with you. She was very insistent. I was kind of concerned. Maybe something was wrong. In the end, it really was that instead of going to the cemetery, she comes to the Conservancy Chapel and spends mm-hmm. time there every week. And she feels more connected to her loved ones there than she does at the cemetery. Yeah. It's like whatever it takes, right? I mean, right. If you have something that's going to offer help in some way, you want to share that. Um, so if someone's out there and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? My phone number is 414-510-4771, or they can email me at susan at org. And you have a Facebook page too, right? Yes, Conservancy for Healing and Heritage. Okay, and some great uh, great things out there online. So I would say check it out, get out in nature. Thank you for being here today, Thank Susan. Thank you, Jill. Uh, collaboration is such an important part of providing a full-featured offering to the community, like we talked about. Um, stick around to hear from a nonprofit organization that Susan mentioned earlier that works closely with the Conservancy to provide healing and education to the more than 22,000 women who are diagnosed each year with ovarian cancer. We'll be right back after our commercial break. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and my next guest is Ashley Wagner, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Ovarian Cancer Alliance. And I've actually asked Susan Robbie from the Conservancy to stick around as well. Thank you for joining in the conversation today, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you here. (laughs) Um, I'm especially excited to have you here today, Ashley, to share some really important information because... Our family has been affected by this cancer, uh, ovarian cancer, and we're so appreciative that organizations like this exist to provide support and education, not only to the 22,000-plus women diagnosed with ovarian cancer every year, but also to the families and the community at large. So did did you yourself have a personal experience with this, or what was it about the Ovarian Cancer Alliance that interested you to the point of getting involved? Sure. Well, it's funny, not funny, but interesting that you mention your family because that's how I got involved with WOCA. Um, I started with WOCA in 2013. And when you're saying WOCA, we're talking Wisconsin Wisconsin Ovarian Ovarian Cancer Cancer Alliance. Alliance. Okay. So I lost my mother about six months prior to pancreatic cancer. Um, Anyone that knows, they're very dismal survival rates, scary. So I knew I wanted to get involved, help families. When my mom was diagnosed, we didn't know where to turn. We didn't know there were organizations around. We didn't even know what kind of support we really needed. Um, So I think every day I get up trying to help women and their families. Yeah, and I think so many people are blindsided when they hear the C word. And, you know, it's, it's very scary. I'm not 
you know, I'm not saying that it's not, but for people to understand that there are a number of organizations out there to help, just to know that they exist is so key. You know, education, as we've said so many times now, is so important. Um, you know, just to collect as much information as you can to know what your options are, right? Exactly. And I think getting support from women who have been through a similar journey yes. is incredibly important. Yeah. You know, hospitals can be incredibly scary places. So getting support from somewhere maybe outside of that um, is a great resource to have. Yeah. Well, give us a little history lesson on the Alliance. How did it come to be? Sure. We are actually celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, WOCA was started in 2000 with three sisters, Sandy, Kelly, and Joan. Joan was an oncology nurse who was actually diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So the three sisters collaborated to start WOCA, and they held a fundraiser each year, um, Comedy for a Cause, which then grew to additional fundraisers. Uh, Joan unfortunately passed away shortly after the alliance was started. Mm -hmm. um, Sandy and Kelly then carried it on until um, late 2012, early 2013 when I took over for them. Okay. Well, tell us the mission then. I sure. mean, you, we understand that you're out there to help uh, the patients and their families, but what, what do you define as your mission? So we primarily try to educate the entire state of Wisconsin. Um, we offer several support services, and then we do fund research for ovarian cancer throughout Wisconsin as well. So generally at Freighter and then the um, UW-Madison as well are our two giving interests. Okay. And then you also, we talked about the collaborative piece with the Conservancy. So you offer education there too, right? Yep. We usually offer more of support services for our survivors and their families. Um, we'll have guest speakers, support groups, and basically just kind of knowledge-based seminars where survivors can learn more about maybe different healing options that are outside of their traditional chemotherapy or medical regimen that they might be going to at their hospital. Um, of course, we always tell everyone that they should consult their physician before doing anything extra, but there's always options available in addition to. And I could get on a soapbox. For, you know, <laughs> we I, all could. <laughs> well, uh, as I said, my mother... Um, is a stage three ovarian cancer survivor and was recommended, highly recommended to do chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And my brother lives out in LA, did some uh, research and we provided my mother with that research and she did her own due diligence and decided she wasn't gonna go the chemo route. And so I'm, I'm so pleased to share with people that my mother now is cancer free not going the traditional chemotherapy route, but using um, holistic therapies mm -hmm. and um, alternative therapies, if you will, um, to get to that stage. So I think that education piece is so important just to let people know. People may decide that they ultimately do want to go the way that their, their doctor has directed them, but you, it, it's so important to get as much information as you can gather in order to make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned awareness. Sorry, I had to <laughs> get a little bit on the soapbox and I, there. but And I think um, with your mom's specific case, that's wonderful um, medicine that you may want to go with as well. Um, but as you can tell from those symptoms, those are really common among what could be several other conditions and what could be, you know, 
associated with a, just a women's general monthly cycle. How much water did you drink today? Are you going to the bathroom because you had so much water? You know, I think we kind of talk ourselves out of the symptoms sometimes. So we really recommend following that beat and kind of tracking them to know what is different for your body. Yeah, I think, again, education information, information. You know, the when I was doing research for this show, um, on your website they talked about a couple different things that people may or may not know is that every 24 minutes another woman is diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And one in 78 women will develop ovarian cancer in their lifetime. And as I stated at the opening, 22, more than 22,000 uh, new cases are diagnosed each year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's a very sad statistic. I mean, obviously, any kind of cancer mm-hmm. is, but I think um, it's so important that people understand the severity and understand that there are ways that that people can help, organizations can help. Absolutely, and I think because the signs and symptoms are so are so vague that you know, roughly eighty five percent of ladies are diagnosed in advanced stages, so stage three or four. Um, with that said, about fifty percent of of their their five-year survivor rate is less than 50 percent so for those ladies that are diagnosed in that lucky 15 percent stage one stage two their five-year survival rate is beyond 90 percent so catching the disease early is so so critical that's why awareness and education is so important to WOCA because we need ladies to know these symptoms and to pay attention to their bodies because if it is caught early it's very very treatable and manageable yeah it's like breast cancer you know they talk about certain things that we can do to be informed and things that we should be doing uh, aware of with our own bodies so that we know when something is changed. Um, you know, when my mom was di- diagnosed with stage three, we were all so surprised because she had been told by her gynecologist that it was other more common age-related things she was experiencing. So consequently, she wasn't checked for ovarian cancer, and as a result, it advanced to stage three. So what are some of the warning signs and symptoms women need to be aware of? We're going to talk about that when we come back. More in a minute. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. With your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. Milwaukee's philanthropic community is back, and we're brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm talking with Ashley Wagner, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Ovarian Cancer Alliance, and Susan Robbie is sticking around to join us. Um, so my mom's experience was obviously not the first time a woman was misdiagnosed because, as we said, symptoms were confused with other conditions. And so um, can you talk about what we women should be aware of or be looking for specifically? Sure. Uh, the Wisconsin Ovarian Cancer Alliance considers signs and symptoms as categorized as the beat. So bloating, eating difficulty, abdominal pain, and then what we like to call tinkle, 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 tinkle. tinkle, tinkle. tinkle. Exactly. <laughs> so bladder changes. Hey, it's catchy though, right? Yes, it is. It's easy uh, way to remember. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, bladder changes, urgency, and frequency. So like I discussed prior, those are all very common. So I think it's important to really pay attention to your body, what's different for you, what are changes you are experiencing. If you go to our website, wisconsinovariancancer.org, you'll find a symptoms diary. So you can track your symptoms on there. I know it's hard. We all lead lead very crazy lives, so it's hard to remember, was I using the restroom a lot yesterday or was that Monday or Tuesday? You know, it's really hard to kind of track exactly what is happening and when. So we like to have those 
symptoms written down, and then you can take that to your physician and say, listen, this something is not right here. So it's nice to have that kind of concrete evidence and to kind of put your thoughts that way as well. And and it's not, you had mentioned before that it's not an old lady disease. I mean, my mother was, sorry, mom, I didn't mean to call you an old lady. <laughs> um, my mother was 78 when she was diagnosed. Um, and so yeah, maybe people think that because mm-hmm. you talked about it being a silent killer and that it's not caught early on. Exactly. So unfortunately, ovarian cancer, one, does not have a diagnostics test. So we are not lucky enough with that mammogram or that colonoscopy. So we don't have that screening tool. So really knowing that beat and the paying attention to your body is our best way to kind of save our lives. Um, and yes, ovarian cancer used to be known as like the old woman's disease, silent killer. And it just is not that anymore. Women are affected 20s, 30s. We've got survivors of all ages. Babies are diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Of course, it's incredibly Babies? rare. Babies? Yeah, it's oh incredibly rare, but wow. it happens. Um, we've got survivors who were born with no ovaries that have ovarian cancer. We've got women who've had um, hysterectomies that have absolutely, you know, no lady parts, but they're diagnosed with ovarian cancer because those cells were there once and are are still lingering. So they're probably in other parts of the body. Mm. So I think that just because you're younger doesn't mean that you aren't that you aren't at risk for ovarian cancer. Um, there are several factors for ovarian cancer. Obviously, increased age is one of them. Hormone replacement therapy. So it's important to know what your risk factors are and what they aren't because, you know, obviously that will increase your risk of ovarian cancer or not. So it's important to know your family history as well. Um, and your website is really good at outlining so certain things to look for. We do have a lot of symptoms on there, you know, lesser known symptoms, back pain, different bowel issues. So I, I would really recommend if you're having any of these to go to our website, wisconsinovariancancer.org, and to give us a call. And we would gladly talk to you about anything that you would like. So let's take my mom's example. She was proactive Mm -hmm. uh, when she thought something was going on, went to her gyno, and they brushed it off, uh, let's just say, um, and said that it was other things. So let's say a woman is experiencing, um, (laughs) and sometimes when you go to these websites and you look at the the checklist, you're like, oh my gosh, I have that. Oh my gosh, I have that. Oh my goodness. So what should a woman do? Should we, you know, you said that they can call, reach out to you. Mm -hmm. Should we call our gyno and get an appointment right away? I mean, what do you suggest that women do first once they... Your mom's experience was incredibly normal. That seems to be what happens with a lot of our ladies. These symptoms are very common. So, you know, the first, your physician's first instinct isn't going to be, oh, you have ovarian cancer. Of course, there's going to be a you know, a period of trial and error or, you know, just trying to figure out what exactly is happening. I would say the first step would be to go to our website and get the symptoms diary. Um, I would track your symptoms that way, and then I would absolutely call your physician. If you feel as though you aren't getting the care that you feel is necessary for you, I would absolutely recommend a second opinion. I think that's always welcome. Um, If, unfortunately, you are diagnosed, we really suggest that you see a gynecologic oncologist. Now, that's a specialist of a women's cancer oncologist. You you don't want to necessarily see a general oncologist. This is a very 
um, tricky disease that you really want to see a a specialist in because you want the best care possible. And that's a gynoc and not a gyno. Okay. (laughs) Not a gyno. I'm learning the terminology. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, and it sounds like um, like anything, we need to be our own advocates. We need to speak on our behalf. So, Susan, you were talking about before with your health challenges that it was important for you to go to bat for yourself, right? Yes. No one's going to do it for us. We nobody have to do will. It for and you know your own body. And, and when you go to somebody and you expect them to know what you're going through, um, they won't understand. And sometimes they don't believe you. Mm-hmm. So you just have to keep going and you can't give up on yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and never doubt what you feel and what you know about your own body. Yeah. And just get out and get educated yeah. and learn what is out there. You know yourself best. You know what's different for your normal body. How you feel is is different than you have been feeling, and, and you're the only one that can say that. Yeah. Well, obviously, ongoing education is needed and is so important in this process of being prepared. What would you say as an organization is your greatest need? Well, as Susan had suggested earlier, of course, funding is always needed and welcomed. Um, We would love to grow our programs throughout the state. We have financial benefit programs that help ladies who are currently undergoing treatment. We have a peer-based mentorship program where um, ladies who are newly diagnosed are paired with women who are farther out on their journey. So that has been an incredible support system for them. Um, They go to chemotherapy together. They get get lunch. It's an incredible bond that they share. So we would love to be able to grow those programs even more. Um, volunteers. We always need volunteers. We have events throughout the whole year that we would love to have support on. And September is our awareness month, and we have three three run walks. So if you wanted to create a team, that would be fabulous too. So I think there's plenty of ways to get involved, um, whatever would fit your needs. Okay. Well, what would you really like to be sure that our listener takes away from this interview? We talked about a lot of different things, but... Um, what do you really want to make sure to hit home on? I would really like everyone to know the beat, share the beat, bloating, eating difficulty, abdominal pain, and then tinkle, 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 and share it with your loved ones, the females in your lives, mothers, wives, daughters, all of it, and that it just doesn't affect older women anymore, and it really can affect everyone. And I think knowing your body, knowing what's different for you, and kind of being your own advocate is incredibly important. Yeah. And I would say, too, getting a maybe not uh, an accountability partner, but maybe a, a prayer partner or a worry partner, whatever you want to call it, someone that support can, partner. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Someone that can walk the journey with you or you can just when you're feeling sad or overwhelmed, uh, uh, you know, somebody that you can reach out to, somebody that can go to the doctor with you. Yeah. I think that that relationship piece is so important. That's what we've really found through our, our peer-based mentorship program. These ladies may not have a support system at home or, you know, don't have anyone to go to the doctor's appointments with them or have or know, know someone that's gone through it. So to have a woman that you can call when you're feeling down or scared is life-changing. Yeah. Many of the programs that the Conservancy offers – support people through those kinds of journeys. I met a gal who is going through cancer treatment for the third time, and she wanted, she plays a harp, and she wanted to come into the chapel and play the harp as part of her own therapy in dealing with cancer again. And so I talked her into being the opening music before one of the monthly retreats. 
So the ladies coming to the retreat were just like nobody wanted to start the retreat because the music was so beautiful, and it really opened up this gal's soul, really, as she's facing this battle again. So... Don't no face one, it alone. That's it. No yeah. one is alone. And everyone yeah. heals differently. Right. right. And right. healing is what can happen Absolutely. for everybody. Uh, before you go, Ashley, can you share uh, contact information, sure. websites, uh, Facebook? Our office can be reached at 262-797-7804. Our website is wisconsinovariancancer.org. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at wisconsinovariancancer.org. Or Wisconsin Ovarian Cancer, and then my email is Ashley at WisconsinOvarianCancer.org. So. Okay. Well, thank you both for being here today. Susan Robbie, Executive Director and CEO of the Conservancy for Healing, and Ashley Wagner, Executive Director of WOCA, the Wisconsin Ovarian Cancer Alliance. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you, Thank you for having us. You're welcome. If you would like further information about what we talked about today or you'd like to be considered as a guest for the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 to learn more about some great people, great nonprofits that are doing great things in our community. You can tune in on uh, the radio via AM 1130 or you can go to News Talk 1130 on your computer or your tablet. You can listen on your phone via the iHeartRadio app, and you can visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows. Now you can also listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. So a number of ways that you can uh, listen to the, the great information that's being shared. I hope you found the information today that we shared helpful as far as how you can use your passion and your purpose to help others in some way. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday.